Put your hands together for the late morning program with your host, Nam Ross. All right. How are you all, everyone? We have uh, Chaturan Prabhu on today on the late morning program. Thank you, Prabhu, for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. My that's, pleasure. that's so awesome. So this is episode 18, um, and Chaturan Prabhu is on his way to Russia. On my way You're on to your Russia. way to Russia. What are you doing in Russia? Uh, joining up with Enduduna Swami and Bhattahari Prabhu and touring the different temples there, speaking about Krishna consciousness, having amazing kirtans. And Wonderful. Sharing our realizations. Great, great. I'm so honored to have you on the show. Uh, I, I, I find you to be a super fascinating person. Uh, a senior devotee in the movement. You've been in the movement for, you know, 46, 46 years. 46 years. Amazing. Uh, but at the same time, you're very relatable to young people and to all kinds of people. And you have so much experience. So I just want to dive into that. And uh, let's, let's start by how did your spiritual journey begin? Well, let me first say before we go sure. into all that that it's actually been something I've wanted to do for a while to be on your show. Really? When you first Oh my gosh. That, I said, I've got to make an arrangement to get up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so honored. I'm so deeply honored that you would uh, like to be on the show. Wow. And I hope everybody that really knows me isn't misled by your glorification of my introduction. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's all true. It's all completely uh, true. <laughs> um, boy. Um, I mean, you told me some stuff already, yeah, but my, I, I loved everything that you said, <laughs> and I want you to say it again. And I was like, in my mind, I was thinking, Prabhu, don't say too much, because <laughs> on the show, I want you to say it. Well, like many people of my age, I was a product of the late 60s and 70s. And um, as soon as I got out of high school, I realized that, uh, you know, this idea of going to college, getting a career, getting a job was not my goal in life. I just, hmm. you know... And I'd already become a vegetarian my last year of high school. Uh, I had no network or anything to do it with, so it was basically Uncle Uncle Ben's instant rice, salads, and um, oatmeal. Oh. And that gets old real fast. <laughs> yeah. And I had no um, assistance in the matter from my mother. Mm. You know, she was like, well, you know, here's what it is. You can eat it or not. Wow. But uh, so, and then I also that last year got into yoga, started practicing yoga. Um, of course, like many of us at the time, it was uh, encouraged by a girlfriend I was dating at the time who was into yoga. I'm like, sure, I'll go. Is that what we're doing today? Okay. <laughs> right. But I did get into it quite a bit. And so when I got out of high school, I um, almost right away moved into a commune. It was probably the only commune in St. Louis, or at least in the area. And it was a macrobiotic commune. Mm. There were 11 members in the commune. The interesting thing is nine of us became devotees. Seven of them still are devotees, and five of them either live or are connected with Alachua. Amazing, Alachua, so, Florida. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting like that. But uh, in that commune, um, you know, there were various, you know, communal days. There were various ideas and philosophies, but we had a Tulsi plant. We had a Panchatattva altar. Oh, okay. And uh, one by one, the different members just moved down to the temple because... We were closely associated with the temple. We would have uh, the devotee from the temple. As a matter of fact, one of my mentors, uh, Mahamuni Das. Okay. He would come out to the uh, commune and you know talk with us and things, and then we'd go down there for the programs and all. And uh, I actually never went to the temple for any of those programs. I didn't have anything to do with going to the temple. I mm -hmm. actually never really had that type of one-on-one -on -one contact before I became a devotee. But I just saw that everybody else is 
doing it. Right. And I realized from talking with them and understanding the philosophy, this is what I was looking for. Because at the time, I was on my way to India to find a guru. Really? Yeah, I had already decided this is what I should do. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I remember real clearly there was a band. Some friends of mine had a band, and they regularly rehearsed and played. And I was there listening to them one time. And at the end of it, uh, the guy that was the leader of the band said, you know, uh, if you want to stick around, you can help learn how to pack all the gear up. You can travel us with us our roadie. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. Nah. I said, I'm going to India to find a guru. This isn't what I'm, you know. Wow. Years later, funny enough, years later as a brahmachari, I bumped into that same guy working at a grandpa pigeons pushing carts. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I said, hey, whatever happened to your band? And he said, oh, well, you know. <laughs> He said, whatever happened to you or anything? I said, I went to India, I got my guru, and I'm living the life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow, that's great. So, so um, you know, life being what it was, and, you know, Christian was just taking one thing away after the next. And I remember waking up one day and uh, saying to the <clears throat> other two people I was traveling around with, there was three of us hitchhiking around the country together at that time. Mm-hmm. Interesting, we carried three bags. One was our clothes, one was our sleeping gear, and one was a small uh, collection of Prabhupada's books. And oh. whoever gave us a ride, we'd give them a book and preach to them about Krishna consciousness. Of course, this, was whatever, before, this was before you moved into the temple? before I was moved into the temple, yeah. Right, right. Of course, whatever our hippie, psychedelic-taking brand of Krishna consciousness was at the time, but, you know, like that. Yeah. And so I can't help but think that that early book distribution, as it were, had something to do with priming the pump, so to speak. (laughs) So one day I woke up and I realized, you know, this is it. I've got to go. And uh, moved down to the temple. Actually, I'll tell the story. I mean, a lot of people are going to see this. A lot of people have heard it. Yeah. There was a lot of LSD involved at the time. (laughs) And so I decided, no, I'm through with this. I'm going to the temple. So I'm yeah. standing on the side of the highway with my thumb out. I put my hand in my pocket, and there's two hits of stuff there. Yeah. So I've got that in this hand, the thumb in this hand. Here's Krishna, here's Maya, here's Krishna, here's Maya. So I threw this down. Uh-huh. Immediately a car pulled over. Right. Picked me up and drove me all the way to the front door of the temple, which was about a 35-mile drive. Oh, my gosh. And it was just, like, amazing. So I knocked on the front door. I said, hi, I'm from the commune, and I'm here to join the temple. Well, come right in. Oh my Shaved God. me right up that day. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Some months later, the temple president told me, because three or four of the people that had joined before me were very scholarly. They had read all the Prabhupada's books. They, well, the ones we had available at the time. They yes. knew the philosophy. I didn't know Bhagavad Gita. I didn't know Krishna or Arjuna. I just knew this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Yeah. You know? And he told me, he said, you know, if I'd have known when you came that day that you knew as little as you did, I wouldn't have let you move. (laughs) (laughs) But somehow Krishna covered him and I got in. How old were you? 21. 21. Matter of fact, it was Gore Purnim of 1973. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I I turned 21 uh, two months later. And then you stayed in the temple for how long? Um, You know. I mean, I lived as a brahmachari until uh, 78, 79. Okay. You know, traveled on Radhadamadar for a while. Really? Yeah. Vishnu John Swami? Uh, no, no, after Vishnu John. After Vishnu John, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Vishnu John and the bus came through St. Louis all the time. Yes. 
it was one of the advantages of being in the St. Louis Temple. We were right in the middle of the country. Yes. So anybody going anywhere stopped in. Yeah. Guru Kripa and the Namahata party, which is sold in Handana. Oh. You know, nail everything down because it's going to disappear, including all your men. <laughs> um, seriously, it was like that. You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are stories in and of themselves. Yeah. Oh, my God. Love but, those. Uh, Love to hear that. But, yeah. And then, um, you know, on the buses and, uh, you know, we, we had this opportunity of seeing all these different devotees come through. So, yeah, spent some time on the Radhadamadar buses, uh, both as a distributor and as Pujari. Right. Um, matter of fact, that famous picture of Srila Prabhupada sitting on the bus. Yes. Going from New York City to... Gita Nagari. Right. I had just finished dressing the deities. Really? Matter of fact, I was behind the curtain finishing it up Yeah. when I was told I had to get off the bus because someone else was going to take my place. And it also was going to do the cooking because they had to minimize the number of people on the bus. Yeah. And I love that devotee, so I won't mention his name. <laughs> but he really stabbed me in the back. <laughs> I missed that opportunity to drive up there. And had I been a little more forceful and less submissive, I would have said, you know... Hey, come Take on. a hike. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember stepping out of the curtain, and from me to you, there was Prabhupada sitting right there on the floor. Wow. You know, and I just bowed my head, backed into the hallway, offered obeisance. He jumped off the back door of the bus, and the bus took off, and that was it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, other, what other times were there when you saw Prabhupada? Well, the first time I saw Prabhupada was 1974 in Mayapur. I had joined in 73 and, you know, distributed books and all of that, and we, through our book distribution, we were able to collect enough money for our tickets. And then in 74, the St. Louis Temple sent, there were 26 of us in the temple, and I think we sent 12 or 13 devotees to Mayapur, just cut the temple in half, everybody went. Yeah. It was an amazing time. And at that time, Mayapur was one building. Right. Just that one unfinished yeah. building. Yes. And conditions were a little less than ideal. Everybody had dysentery, was sick, and mm. you know, this and that, but... I was asked to guard Prabhupada's door. You know, basically it was just sit in the hallway, make sure that people going up and down the stairs are quiet. They don't wander down the hallway to Prabhupada's rooms. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that was my first personal service to Prabhupada, sit there and make sure nobody came down the hall and bothered. And when I went back to Mayapur this year, I went back and visited that spot had a picture of myself taken there. Of course, back then in 73, none of us had cameras, took pictures of anybody doing anything. You know? mm. That's why there's no history, except for Vishak and Yadavar. They yeah. recorded everything. Yes, yes. Um, fortunate for all of us. But, um, yeah, and then Prabhupada came out of his room. And uh, he looked at me, kind of nodded his head, and continued. he was in a gumption going to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And it was the most surreal, amazing experience to me to see Prabhupada like that. You know, everything in his presence was just transformed almost to this mystical kind of thing. I had this mystical idea from my, you know, drug-induced days of what spiritual life was. And then when I came to Krishna Consciousness, I realized that really wasn't spiritual life. That was just some fantasy. But I experienced that again when I met Prabhupada. You know, it was almost like Krishna, okay, just a little, okay, not that, you know. And then he went into the bathroom and whatever, and then he came back out and nodded again and the same thing. And so there was no exchange verbally, but I got, you know, it was clear I was doing the service for him. So yeah. that was my first opportunity. And then um, Prabhupada came to Chicago in 1974 that summer. Yeah, because we took, uh, we had an interesting thing in St. Louis. We installed Nittai Gaur Nataraj, and then we would take them to wherever we went. 
Mm. pack them up in their altar, put them in a van with all their paraphernalia. We had amazing rolling carts and everything. My godbrother Prana was an incredible carpenter, and he would build these just incredibly intricate, detailed slots and hangers and on rollers and lock up and, you know, mm. just amazing. He lives in Alachua now, by the way. Oh, okay. Everybody lives in Alachua. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... At any rate, we would go to wherever Prabhupada was in the Midwest because Prabhupada never came to St. Louis. It was too small of a temple. Yeah. So we went up to Chicago. Prabhupada was there. They were opening the uh, temple in uh, Evanston. And uh, we went and stayed there. And that's when I got my uh, second initiation. Was it then or 75? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got my second initiation then. And uh, Prabhupada brought me into his room. I was sitting in the room with him alone. It was that big, huge Vyasa sun that you see in the pictures. It just, it, it was so big, it dwarfed Srila Prabhupada. Mm. And uh, he sat there and he gave me the Gayatri, gave me the thread, put it on my shoulder, offered my obeisance. So I got that uh, Brahman initiation from him and we got to hear his classes. That was the famous class. There were oh, so many devotees there. So, so many devotees. And uh, no, actually it was the next year, 70, 75, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'll skip ahead. But uh, at any rate, so, yeah, then we all went back down. So that was my second time seeing with Prabhupada. I, I got the personal association. I got the Brahman initiation from him, but I didn't, you know, any service other than that. Then in 1976, no, 1975, I'm sorry, Srila Prabhupada came to Chicago again, mm -hmm. 74 and 75, two years in a row. And um, at that time, Prabhupada was staying at Grahastra's apartment about three blocks from the temple. So I would organize all the Sangatana devotees, go out in the Sangatana, and then I would go over to Prabhupada's apartment. Uh, Upendra was the servant, and Brahmananda was the secretary at the time. And Prajumna, um, um, I believe, was the translator. It was either mm. Prajumna or Harikesha, I'm not real positive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would just go over and hang out in the dining room, chanting my japa, waiting for service. Yeah. And one day Prabhupada walked out of his room into the hallway with Upendra, and he looked at me, and he said, Upendra, who is that? And Pender said, that's your disciple, Chaturatma Das. Do you think you can fix something in my room? I said, yes, I certainly can, Srila Prabhupada. I had no idea what he needed fixing. And he turned to Pender and said, you show him. So then he went into the bathroom. So in the bedroom, it was one of those scenarios where the cabinets were built into the wall. Okay. So you would pull the cabinet out, and it was part of the wall. Yeah. And Prabhupada always traveled, many of us know this, Prabhupada always traveled a small suitcase. Sometimes it was orange. And in it would be like his passport, keys to different rooms around the world, particular papers, things like that. And he always locked it up wherever he went anywhere. First thing he did, he'd get in and he'd lock it up. There was no place in this room to lock it up. Oh, really? So he had me put a lock and a hasp, okay. drill it into the wall and into the... Oh, my God. put a lock on there, and then that's where he put it and locked it. So that was the first personal service I got to do. Wow. At that time, also, they took volunteers for a morning cleaning crew. And, you know, my hand went right up. Mongolite, we need five devotees. <laughs> so every morning, Prabhupada would go out for his drop of walk, and the five of us would show up at the apartment as Prabhupada was leaving. Four mornings in a row, I could put a garland on Prabhupada. Prabhupada would come down the stairs. It was one, He was in the second floor, and it was one of those apartments with a big window. You could see somebody coming down the stairs. And he'd come out, and put a garland on and offer obeisances. Then he'd get in the car, and we'd clean the apartment, and then we'd all meet back after his morning walk for the... Uh, Guru Pujan class. Right. So this particular morning, it had rained much of the night, 
It was a little drizzly that morning. It wasn't really rainy, just a little drizzly, and there were some puddles here and there. So Prabhupada came down. I put the garland on him. We all went down to off-road basins. He's in Prabhupada said, no, stop. He said, if you get down in the water, you become wet, and then you can become sick, and your service will be hampered. Mm. No need. Huh. It, it impacted me so much. Here, here is the spiritual master of the universe. Yeah. The most worthy to be worshipped by anyone. Right. No, no, don't worship me. You'll become sick. Your service will be hampered. Mm-hmm. So that was his main concern, the well-being of his disciples. Wow. So Amazing. Incredible. So then we would clean the apartment. And because I was doing all that kind of thing, I had a little access. Uh, 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 Apoorva was cooking. Mm-hmm. And Apoorva said to me one day, can, can you help me in the kitchen? I'm like, sure. You know, cut this, roll that, mix that. Mm-hmm. So then he said, okay, now take Prabhupada's plate in. What? He said, no, no, you take Prabhupada's plate in. So I carried the plate in, and Prabhupada, many devotees know this, Prabhupada mostly, exclusively ate by himself. Yeah. He didn't, you know, wasn't like eight or ten people in the room with him. And like sometimes facing the wall even. Yes, yes, yes. It was a, it was a service. He was, you know. Yes. So anyway, he had this little table there, and I brought it in and set the plate down. He nodded his head, and I left, and I take the doll in. So I took the doll in and this kind of what we call a mint julep tumbler, solid silver, and set that there. And as I took the doll in, Prabhupada looked up, he said, more chapatis. So that was an instruction, bring me more chapatis. So I went to the kitchen, got more chapatis, and brought them in. Nice. <clears throat> so that was a very nice opportunity for a little bit of service there. Amazing. And then one of the evenings, Prabhupada had done an interview during the day with um, some news program. You know, they'd come out and tele- filmed an interview to be televised on the news that night. And so Prabhupada had his evening darshan, as he would always do. And as everyone's leaving, Upendra kind of gave me that motion with his hand to fall to the back of the crowd. So I fell to the back of the crowd. Everyone left. In the room was Srila Prabhupada, Brahmananda, Upendra, myself. And as I say, either Prajumna or Harikeshan, I can't remember which. You'd think I would. Mm-hmm. And they brought in a TV. Now, you know, nobody watched TV back then. It's not like now and... Any devotees watch TV. <laughs> you know. Right. You just didn't do it. Yeah. I brought a TV and hooked it up and put on the evening news for Prabhupada to watch. Mm-hmm. And you know how they do it, the national and big local event and then the uh, uh, public affairs, not public affairs. Uh, More local. Local stuff is done at the end. So yeah. the opening event was that the teachers in Chicago were on strike. And Brahman Prabhu had, of course, pre- previously been a high school teacher. Right. So he explained to Shola Prabhupada, he said, Shola Prabhupada, this, information, this, this news program is about the fact that the teachers are on strike because, and Prabhupada cut him off and said, because they are not teachers and they do not know how to teach. Wow. <laughs> so, so as it's going, Prabhupada would make a comment here or there. Or a little... You were in the room while he was watching TV. Yeah. 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 Wow. First time I'd seen a television, and you know, because as a hippie in the calming, we never had a TV. Yeah. So really, the first time I'd sat down and watched television in four or five years, and here it was with Shirley Prabhupada. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he'd make a little comment about a commercial or this or that, you know. So then finally, the news came on, and you know, the reporter, you know, gave less than a glowing appreciation of Shirley Prabhupada's efforts, but you know, nonetheless informative. Yeah. And he was there, and. No, this is so good. So everyone can take rest now. And we all left. I was like, I was on cloud nine. <laughs> <laughs> so then um, the final morning of cleaning the room, 
probably would go to his morning walk and then from there to the class and from the class straight to the airport. So it was arranged we could each have a little token from the room for our service. Mm-hmm. I got more than a little token. <laughs> really? I got a bar of soap, a towel, and that mint julep cup that I served him as Dolan. Wow. Yeah. Now, the towel, you know, of course, back then we thought probably would be with us forever and ever and ever. Yes, yes. You know, so the bar of soap I used. You know. <laughs> wow. wow. This is probably soap. Oh, I smell just like probably smells. <laughs> Sandalwood soap, yeah. You know, Brahmacharis in '76. Sandalwood soap. You never heard of anything. Yeah, right. And then the towel I used also, and then I gave to someone as a gift or something. You know. Oh my God. But I kept that cup, and to this day, that cup is in my home. No way. And under a glass container, a special little place of honor and respect there. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. And you served Prabhupada doll from served that. Prabhupada doll in that cup, so that cup's directly connected to me and my service to Prabhupada. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Wow. So. uh I came to find out years later that that apartment was owned by Sundarupa Prabhu and his wife, mm-hmm. who later was from Alachua and who originally was the first person from that commune I was connected with to become a devotee. He was connected through that commune and he was instrumental in helping us all get our Krishna consciousness there. Amazing. Yeah. So, so connected to a small world. So, small world. so you, you, were, you became a... Um, so in St. Louis, you, you were first you know, doing... Book distribution. Well, my first service in St. Louis was to paint the toilet. Paint the toilet? Paint the toilet. It was a small men's bathroom downstairs. It had a toilet separate, walled off, and here's some paint. We need to paint this. And that was my very first service. Uh, I joined on Sunday, got shaved up, took part in the feast, and Monday morning I had a paint bucket and a brush and was painting the toilet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome to Krishna Consciousness here. Paint the toilet. Oh and you eventually became the temple president. Uh, eventually is a correct word. <laughs> While I was there as a brahmachari, I was a book distributor. And then from a book distributor, I became a cook. And then from the cook, I became a uh, temple commander. And then temple commander to Pujari. And Pujari was the last service I did there. Mm-hmm. And then I left when Radha Damodar uh, broke apart. Right. St. Louis was no longer the headquarters of Radha Damodar, which it eventually became. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, I ended up in New York. Okay, I yeah. Was, I was a devotee in New York. I wasn't really a brahmachari, but I wasn't married yet. Okay. I was kind of in that no man's land where you know you're not one, but you're not the other one yet. Right. And um, so uh, uh, at that time, you know, I had some service there connected with one of the businesses the temple was running. And then I went to India in 77 and blah, blah, blah. Eventually, I ended up back in St. Louis as a temple president in the early 90s. Okay. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. 91, I think. Oh, right. So so in New York, um, you you were then you got married while you were in New York? Not at that time. Oh, okay. Uh, that was 70, late 76, 77. And then in 78, I went back to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. The beginning of 78, I went back to St. Louis. And Tamal Krishna Maharaj was... Um, in charge of the St. Louis Temple, the Dallas Temple, no, the St. Louis Temple, yeah, just the St. Louis Temple, that's right. And then they um, took over the Dallas and Houston Temples, and he sent me to Dallas to be the uh, uh, temple commander there. Okay. At which point I eventually became the head pujari for Radha Kalachanji. Oh. Some of the sweetest times of my life, dressing mm-hmm. Radha Kalachanji in their night outfit every night. Oh my gosh. And there was this wonderful devotee there, um, I can't remember her name. Dina Diatri, who, when I would come off the altar, the jury room was spotless. 
I mean, just spotless. Everything was put away and cleaned. She was so good. All the Didi outfits had their name sewed in it. A little name tag. <gasps> Shri Nitai, Shri Gora, Shri Kalachandra, oh, Shri Radha. Oh, that's so cool. It was just amazing. So those are really good times for me. Yeah. And then I was sent to Houston to be the head pujari there. And I was uh, head pujari, and the head cook was Boo Prabhu. Bhuvaneshwar. Really? Bhuvaneshwar is the head cook in Houston. and uh, I didn't know he was in Houston also. Yeah, he was the head cook in Houston. I was the head pujari. We spent a lot of time together. Really? Most of it him giving me a hard time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Deservingly hard time. Because, you know, Boo's always been a very sober devotee. Yes, yes. And frivolous would be a reasonable assessment of my general nature. <laughs> And Boo would always do what he could to straighten me out. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the temple president at the time was Janardhan Prabhu. Pyar Mohan was there. Kalki was there. I mean, just a whole slew of devotees. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. It was a strict Brahmachari temple. Yeah. Uh, I think we had two or three ladies that lived just near there in one householder's apartment. And uh, so from there, I was asked to come up uh, to Mount Krishnamarish, took over the Chicago temple. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to come to Chicago and take over the deity worship there because they needed to have Pajari there. So I was in charge of caring for Radha Kalachanji. Uh, Kishore Kishore, I'm sorry. Kishore right. Kishore. And uh, those were sweet times. Really, really wonderful. Kishore Kishore had been known throughout my St. Louis days when we go to Chicago. They were known as the Sweethearts of the Midwest. Sweethearts of the Midwest. That was Kishore Kishore, <laughs> the Sweethearts of the Midwest. Uh, and so now here I was, their head pujari. Yeah. And uh, there was a lady that was running the kitchen. Her name was Pashupati. Oh, okay. <laughs> and for those of you in uh, television land, you know the rest is history. Right. Uh, I was the head pujari. She was the head cook. And uh, it was time for me to be married. So I approached the temple authorities and asked about marrying her. Things were arranged. and um, You, you, you for, wanted to marry her? I wanted to marry her. I was looking for two particular qualities. Somebody who was serious and somebody who was dedicated to Prabhupada. She had both of them. Wow. You know, the fact that she was a, you know, Nice-looking lady with a <laughs> wonderful personality, yes, yes. charming service mood. Didn't, head cook? The head cook, yeah. Didn't hurt the, the prod at all. <laughs> I don't know what she saw in me. But <laughs> at any rate, so um, we, uh, at that time, there was still some changes going on. It was the beginning of the end of the Zonal Acharya days. Yes, I wanted to touch on that. Well, well, we can get into that. Yeah. So at that point, uh, Tamal Krishnamarish had been removed. I think this was the beginning of his being sent to China. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so the management structure was changing considerably. And uh, the ladies, most of the ladies in the ashram there were sent to New York. Mm -hmm. And so she was sent ahead of us getting married. And so I was to go to New York. We were going to get married there. And then from there, we were going to go to Puerto Rico and work in the Puerto Rico temple. At that time, Vakreshwar Pandit and Prana, both old friends of mine, were running the Puerto Rico project, and mm -hmm. they'd invited me to come down. Right. So I got to New York, and uh, New York just gobbled me up. I never really? left. Yeah, we stayed there uh, 10 years. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, loved our service there. We were there 55th Street, 7th Avenue, Lake Huntington, Tawako, Brooklyn. Wow. Uh, went through the whole thing. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it was an amazing time. What I notice a lot about what you're telling me right now is that there was a lot of devotees being sent different places. Like someone telling you, okay, um, you're not the head pujari in Houston anymore. You have to go to Chicago now. Yeah. And, you, and you're just surrendered to go and do that. 
Well, we were like trading cards back then, you know. <laughs> trading you cards. Know. I got an. I got a. Uh, uh, I don't know. Ken Brooks. You know. You got. Uh, yeah. Right. I'll take two Aaron. Uh, Jack. You know. Yeah. Whatever. You yeah. Know? So I mean, yeah. For the most part, we were pretty surrendered in that way, and we didn't have. Our mood of development in Krishna consciousness had been that. Now, of course, there were devotees that didn't necessarily have that mood, whatever. But at least in my case, and many of the devotees I was raised in Krishna consciousness with, we were cared for. The temple I grew up in was not like some of the temples where you hear these horror stories of how devotees are mistreated and all. Our temple was very much like a family. Right. There was none of this uh, male-female misogyny and none of this, uh, you know, I'm the, uh, the temple president, you're just a peon. Our temple president at the time was McConnell and his wife, Tilak, and we were all treated very nice. We were all taken good care of. Wow. We were given nice facility. And as a result, we surrendered. And we were educated. Our program, when I was a young devotee, Get up in the morning, go to Mongolarti, yeah. Japa, Guru Puja, yeah. then we'd have breakfast. Mm-hmm. Breakfast was as much hollow and sweet rice as any one person could eat. I remember that. And then we'd have an hour of cleaning duties. Oh. And we'd clean. our temple was known as the cleanest temple anywhere. People would walk in and the place just radiated. Yeah. You know, 25 devotees cleaning a three-story brownstone. Easily. Then we would go back to the temple. We'd have a class on nectar devotion. Then we'd have a class on Shri Shopanasat. Then we'd have the noon RT. Then after the noon RT, we'd go out and do Harinam or book distribution till the evening. We'd come back, shower, go to the Gora RT, have Bhagavad Gita class. Oh, my God. After Bhagavad Gita class, sit in the front lobby and drink hot milk and listen to Krishna book. Take rest. That was our program. Oh, my Six days a week. Wow. So, yeah, we were well-trained. We were well-informed uh, uh, about Krishna conscious philosophy. And, uh, you know, none of us felt like, you know... So, therefore, we had that mood of surrender, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, it was just, it was not hard for me to muster that. Okay, go here, go here, go there, you know. Mm. I didn't have a lot of separate desires at that point anyway. You know, that yeah. came much later once we kind of crossed. <laughs> right, right. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, in New- so, you were in New York for t- 10 or 12 10 years. years? 10 then years. A couple of things happened. My uh, wife's health began to deteriorate very badly due to the cold. And um, we needed to look at a warmer place to live. And plus, my son was getting ready to graduate from the Baltimore Girl Cooler that he'd been attending and Lake Huntington, I'm, I'm sorry, not Lake Huntington, uh, the Alachua School under Ritavajar Maharaj was a good option. Right. Had teenage boys there, and so yes. we looked at doing that. So we moved um, to Fort Myers Beach, okay. uh, South Florida, West Coast. And uh, there was a small community of devotees there, Masatala and Muluka at the time, um, uh, Dravanaksha and Nanda, uh, Gyanagyamya and Mahamaya, uh-huh. Pankajanaba, uh, like that. We all lived okay. there. And small community. We had morning program at my house because I happened to have the largest place at the time. Yeah. And then we'd have Sunday feast, invite some of the local Indians, and we'd celebrate Nishunga Chaturdasi or Janmashtami and invite people over like that. Yeah. And uh, Rasatala had a health food store there, which I managed for him. And so we had a pretty nice life down there. Wow. And then one year, the GBC held their GBC North American meetings in Miami. So we drove over for that. And uh, Buddy Narayan was the GBC for St. Louis. And he approached me and said, how'd you like to go back to St. Louis and be the TP? And uh, wife and I talked about it, and so the St. Louis Temple flew me up there, mm-hmm. and 
and uh, I took a look at the building and the shape it was in and the things that could be done and the things I was capable of doing and we agreed. <clears throat> we agreed for a two-year stint and stayed for five. Oh, okay. It was particularly nice from the family perspective because, first of all, there was an apartment in the building. Yeah. Second of all, my own family was there with all my siblings, my mother and father and like that, and so it was nice for the whole family to be together and get to know the extended family. And the preaching in St. Louis for us was extremely sweet at the time. We just joined it like anything we just had such a great time there wow so you so you want something i i wanted to talk about is that um i see that devotees who kind of lived through the zonal acharya times and kind of got through that time <clears throat> even even though they were devotees before that whole time right. happened they they come out of that time being like very you know balanced and very they've seen a lot you know like my father-in-law came and he spoke he didn't speak about it but he i i noticed that in his it, yeah. him as well so tell us a little bit about how that was after Prabhupada, just immediately after Prabhupada left like what was the the mood like it seems like you had a good experience throughout your temple life yeah yeah um here again that mood of Surrender was there. I mean, after Prabhupada departed, you had two moods amongst the devotees. Those that were just like, I'm not accepting these new guys. That's it. Done. Oh, really? And then those that, you know, maybe had an easier time with it. I didn't have any problem serving my godbrothers. Right. I, I didn't ever think of them as replacing Prabhupada in my mind or heart. Of course. But I had no problem serving my senior godbrothers. I mm. never had had. You know, that was the mood we were instructed as we were new devotees, you know, serving our seniors. That's the mood we see all through the Bhagavatam, and that's the mood of devotional service of the Vaishnavas. Right. So for me, that was never an issue. You know, GBC, sannyasi, guru, acharya, whatever, sure, okay. And, you know, maybe we were a little misdirected in how we did it back then and a little mm -hmm. over the top. Okay, so it was a learning curve. <laughs> yeah. We had not had the acharya disappear before. Yes. So we had no foundation on how this goes but there were nonetheless things that happened that my wife and i were not blind to right i remember one particular incident i would arrange the class schedule back then sure and i remember looking at a particular verse that had a very controversial purport by Prabhupada in the middle of the purport there's a paragraph in it that was extremely controversial mm -hmm. and i remember giving the individual that was giving the class the class the uh, information and I had said to my wife, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and she and I cooked Radha Govinda's breakfast offering. So we were in the kitchen where there was the speaker. Yeah. And this individual was giving a class or in the purport and got to that particular paragraph. And you could hear a pause if you knew that there was something. And you skipped that entire purport. Just didn't read it. And I said, okay, this is the beginning of the end. Really? And it wasn't long that individual had some difficulties and they were exposed and came out and you know blah 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 wow so we weren't blind to what was going on but at the same time i i don't put myself in the camp of naysayers you know iscom was growing iscom was maturing and just like a teenager i mean you raise teenage children there's difficulties yeah there's mistakes made on both sides right parents and the children you know and but it doesn't destroy the family not if you're good family yes know? doesn't destroy the family the family stays together and you pull through it and then you're stronger on the other side mm. so i see it in the same way when we talk about the zonal acharya system and the zonal acharya days 
that those of us that lived through it, okay, it was difficult times. Mm. However badly it was difficult for some more than others, okay, granted, some got the raw end of the deal much worse, depending on how dictatorial their particular zone of was. Right, right. You know, um, but in the end, if our faith was in Srila Prabhupada and in ISKCON and in the teachings, then we just carry on through. Mm. Mistakes are made, difficulties are had. It's just like a marriage. Yeah. You know, same thing. You don't throw the marriage. I mean, well, many people do nowadays. No disrespect to anybody that does. Yes, right. It's like I always say, you know, Badahari and I, when we travel, we've been married for 39 years to the same wife, you know. <laughs> 39 years. 39 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That is amazing. I'm sure you can share so much about. You know, I've been married six years, and I feel like when I when I'm around people who are not married or who are just got married, I'm like, yeah, six years. I've been married <laughs> six years. I could tell you a few things. You know, well, like, if you <laughs> if you want to learn a few things about how to deal with a 39 year marriage, you talk to my wife. She's the one that's had to put up the front of it. <laughs> Wonderful woman that she is. Um, but the reality is that. Uh, yeah, the Zonalachari system was like that. You lived through it and carried on, and your Krishna consciousness went unimpacted. I, I, I often noticed that there were two types of disciples of the Acharyas at that time. Those that were, how shall we say, cult figure followers. Right. That once the guru fell or left or whatever, their Krishna consciousness just dissipated. Right. Because it was all based on that person. And then other individuals that it was based on the philosophy, that it was based on the teachings, and this was the link. And then when that link broke, okay, well, let's just connect it in a different direction. Yes. And to this day, decades later, they're still strong in their Krishna consciousness. So it's a lesson that, you know, it's not about a particular person, but it's about a, an understanding of the whole thing. This is why I'm so fixed, as many of you know, on Vaishnavacharya history. Yes. There's nothing that's going on in ISKCON that's new. Really? You know, I mean, people falling down with uh, 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 women, you know. Yeah, right. Well, look at uh, Kala uh, Krishna, Lord Chaitanya's personal servant. Yes, yes. <clears throat> the gypsies get him and Lord Chaitanya's got to go drag him back. Yeah, right. Look at the deviation of different philosophies. Look at the fault finding of Ramachandra Puri. Right. Everything we see in ISKCON has happened before in the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu movement. Mm. Okay, maybe the flavor of it has changed a bit as the progression of Kali Yuga has come. Yes. You know, look at the mismanagement of money or the hiding of funds. Ishan, personal servant of, Maha, of uh, Sanatana Goswami. Okay? Right. He hid funds from Mahaprabhu, from Sanatana Goswami. Right. His intention was good, but it almost got him killed. Yeah, it got him killed. Them, right? Yeah. So, you know, none of this stuff's new. Wow. You know, we have to see it in the proper light. Yeah. And this is why I so much think it's important that we understand the history of our acharyas because oh this is what i'm going through well look this happened there here's how they go okay so i can do the same thing it's as simple as that seems like you get a lot of your um inspiration and uh example like from the from from learning a, a lot about the vaishnava acharyas i mean yeah there's a lot to I mean, there's that book you mentioned yesterday. There was like the Gauraganadesh Deepika. Then there was this other one that I never even uh, heard by of. By Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. Yes, yes. I was in Russia last year, and um, this book was given to me. Yeah. Do you edit these? No. <laughs> anyway, the book was given to me, and it's uh, it's a correlating book. Um, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur has written it about who are the different associates of Gaur Leela and who are the different yes. associates of Krishna Leela and 
putting them back and forth like that. You Amazing. Know? And I love that. It, it gives an additional support to the writing of Kavi Karnapur. Right. So that we see, oh, it's not just Kavi Karnapur. Well, maybe he was wrong. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. he is only one guy after all, you know, yeah. like that. You know, forget the fact that he sucked on Lord Chaitanya's toe when he was a little boy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's some mercy there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, so these things are there for us to learn. Yes. Our history is there for us to be familiar with so that as we go through the pitfalls of life, household life, brahmachari life, sannyas life, we can take guidance, instruction, inspiration, assistance from the history of our acharyas. Yes. Very important. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, you were a pujari for many years, a head pujari in different places. Uh, what, what do you find different from now as opposed to that time when you were? It, it was like a, you know, as you know, some devotees say you were kind of trailblazers in mm. that in that whole thing. You know, learning how to do pujari seva by you know, um, you know, not you're not going to all these people to learn, but you're kind of um, getting it from, you know, I mean, the first uh, Archana um, Padati was by, like, Jaitirtha Prabhu had written it and spread it to... Well, through Jai Sachinandana Prabhu, oh, okay. and then published by Jaitirtha. Right. But even that was a good four years after we'd already been doing all of our deity worship for someone from my generation. Four years? Well, it came out in 76. Oh, my gosh. So three, four years, we'd already been doing deity worship. What to speak of those before us who joined in the late 60s. Amazing. So... Yeah, that's one major difference is the broader and more informed knowledge base in deity worship that we find amongst Pajaris now. Yeah. Um, not only in procedure, but in Siddhanta. And in Bhava, if we can use the word and not appear too much of a Sahaja. Right. Uh, there's that famous story Prabhupada was in Dallas and he was looking at the deities at the morning darshan. He turned to Pujari and said, so what is the deity's mood? Pujari's like, who, me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're the intimate servant of the Lord, therefore you should know his mood. Yeah. So the Pujari is expected to have some understanding of the intimacy of the deity's mood. Right. You're there every day, day in and day out. The wife and the husband know the intimacy of each other because of that daily in-and-out connection. Yes. The guru and the disciple, if they're living together like that as servant, then they learn you. So we're expected to know these things. Mm -hmm. You know. So add that to the fact that now we have actual knowledge on the procedures and training and how to do these things. The deity worship has uh, increased in its depth of understanding. Mm. I don't think that there's any less devotion then than there is now being more. Right. But I think the package that goes with that devotion, you know, you have devotion, and you may not know anything, but you're just very devoted. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're very devoted, then you also understand the philosophy and the procedure and everything that goes with that. It increases your devotion and mm -hmm. increases your commitment and dedication to that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So... I see that now in the deity worship. Mm -hmm. And as a result, devotees are able to give much more elaborate service and offering and develop things. However, I would be remiss in my responsibilities as an old fart if I didn't say so. <laughs> There's the dangerous Sahajism. And we see it in our society. We see things being done with the deities that 
are completely bogus. Really? Uh, this whole uh, Santa Claus outfit thing. Oh, comes right. right. Um, but even more subtle, uh, dressing up uh, the deities that are not seated around with bows and arrows. One place I saw, they took Gordon Ty and put bows and arrows on them on Ram Nova. Right. No. You know, recently yeah. there was a place, Krishna and Balaram, they were given bows and arrows. This is inappropriate. Right. You know, so little things like that, which appear <laughs> decorative and devotional and encouraging and exciting, but are not based in Siddhanta. Right. So that's the other danger mm-hmm. in deity worship is to introduce different things that we, you know, think, well, now I'm, you know, been around a while or I know this or I feel that, you know. Mm. So we always have to check that. You know, we always have to check that. How do you, uh, how do you prevent yourself from, um, like, for example, you've been doing deity worship so many years and then, you know, just, you, you could say in recent years, devotees are, uh, you know, we're coming out with very standardized procedures, but it's like, that's not how we used to do it. You know, we, this is how Prabhupada taught us and this is how we've been all doing it for 30 some odd years and now you guys are coming in with this kind of thing. How do you deal with that as being uh, someone who's been doing it for a long time? Not everybody's going to agree with what I'm about to say. Okay. I mean, that's this whole podcast. Right. In, 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 a, in a nutshell, a lot of this stuff is like some people are like, wait, I'm not sure about that. But here's what I firmly believe. Yeah. In deity worship, in philosophy, and in ISKCON as a society. Prabhupada knew he did not have long with us. He said that openly many times. I'm an old man. I can go at any time. Mm-hmm. So he gave us the bare bones essentials. Here's what you need. Here's how you do it. Just get it done. Right. I fully believe in my heart of hearts that Prabhupada expected these 20-year-old knuckleheads that I'm training that don't know anything right. will eventually grow up, mature, become more knowledgeable and exposed, and broaden this out as it should be in our culture. Yeah. And when I say our culture, I mean the traditional Vedic culture. You yeah. know, the, the proper Krishna consciousness that he was looking to give us. And that that's our duty as older devotees, as an expanding and growing society, to incorporate these things. So does that mean Prabhupada was wrong and that what we're doing it now is right? No, not at all. It means that that's what Prabhupada gave us according to time, place, and circumstance mm-hmm. until <clears throat> we got to such a point to where we understood the way things can be done. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I don't think it diminishes from Prabhupada's position as the Acharya. Mm-hmm. I don't think it diminishes from Prabhupada's position as a pure devotee knowing everything. And neither do I think it diminishes from Prabhupada's position as making him something irrelevant. Mm. Just because we expanded our knowledge and understood a different way that incorporates the same principle, but goes about it a different method. Right. If you take a particular recipe, you know, someone will cook it in one particular manner and someone will have a couple of steps different. What comes out is the same tasty food stuff. Right. So, but... Someone's cooking a little this way. Someone's cooking it that way. Someone steams it in the pan for 10 minutes. Someone actually fries it first and then, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it doesn't diminish the after result. Mm. So I believe that the newer ideas and understandings we have about deity worship that may appear to look different than what Prabhupada gave us are just a natural progression as we become more knowledgeable of things. That's really a a good mature outlook. And I think it applies to everything about our Krishna consciousness. None of us were, you know, I mean, mostly all householders in ISKCON now work, live outside, have jobs. 
Yeah. Nobody had that back then when I was a young devotee. Yeah. If you lived outside and had a job, you were in my approval. What's the <laughs> matter with you? Wow. You know? I remember 1976, Detroit. Prabhupada was giving initiation. Tons of brahmacharis. Tons of brahmacharis. One devotee came up. He's my godbrother. He lives in Lachromia. And he had full head of hair. And Prabhupada said, and your name is Ari. And he held the beads out. He looked up. He saw the full head of hair. And he pulled his hand back. And he turned to the temple runners. He said, why is he not shaved up? And the temple president said, oh, he works for um, Hewlett Packard. No, IBM. He has a prominent uh, job working for IBM. Prabhupada said, oh, then that is okay. <laughs> wow. So, you know, back then, yes. and now everybody that comes through initiation works for this place or that place or this place or that, you know. Yes. So it's a progression. It's a different type of household life. It doesn't mean it's better or worse. It just means that as the society grows, mm -hmm. we have to understand with the mature Krishna conscious vision mm -hmm. how to do that. Now, here's the, the big part of that. Well, how do I get that Krishna conscious vision? I don't know anything. Mm. Association. Sadhu, Shastra, and Sadhu, uh, guru. guru, excuse yeah. me. Sadhu, Shastra, and Guru. Mm. These three things, they're going to help us understand how to expand that in a way that's going to produce my good Krishna conscious result or that's going to produce an attachment. So it's going to happen. We've got, I mean, just like the program you and I did last night, no brahmacharis here. It's all families. Yeah. Some brand new people coming that are coming with their pre-established ideas of how life is lived. Right. And they do not have the opportunity to live in the ashram and get all that change like we did. Right. So it's up to others as people progress accordingly to how they're able to guide them and direct them. Yeah, I see that I see that as a concern. I mean, we were talking earlier about it um that, you know, even, you know, temple presidents, temple managers now they have never lived in temples. Mm -hmm. That concerns me a bit. <clears throat> um, because then it's like, who's instructing them, you know? Exactly. It depends on who their guru is, mm -hmm. and it depends on what type of association they have surrounded themselves with. Right. Here again, it can easily be a pitfall. I'm the temple president, and I don't need to listen to anybody. I know what I'm doing. I was an expert manager of such and such corporation, and I ran things that way, so I can run this. Yes. So please, Prabhu, go back and wash the dishes. Don't tell me anything. Right, right. <laughs> So, but if instead that individual is surrounding themselves with a board of members, yeah. with senior men, with persons that can guide and advise them, with the uh, ear to listen to what their guru is telling them, yeah. then the opportunity of doing it right is there. And that business experience they had running XYZ Corporation can be used to help, let's be frank, tighten up the corporate execution of ISKCON. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. What were some of the most um, challenging things being a temple president? <laughs> being the temple president? <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's always manpower. There's so, always, there was always no, manpower? No, it is always manpower. Oh, it's always manpower. It's the most challenging Oh, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I remember when I was a temple commander in New York, in Brooklyn, current Brooklyn temple. There was never enough manpower to get anything done. Oh, my I gosh. remember when I was the uh, temple president in St. Louis... When I moved in to take over the St. Louis Temple, there were two devotees in the temple. And we were running a full-scale restaurant. Wow. Five days a week. No, six days a week. Six days a week. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, pretty much if it was being done, I was doing it from the deity worship in the morning to closing the restaurant out and putting the deities to bed before I went to bed at night. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> so, 
you know, and then in Alachua, uh, I, when I was the temple president there, and the conversations I have now with uh, Mother Mukia, who's the temple president there, is that uh, there's, there's always a shortage of manpower. Oh. And, and manpower shortage usually also corresponds with financial shortages. But even temples that are financially solid, yeah. manpower is the issue, you know. And especially when we get to the point that it's a voluntary option to give service or not. Yes. And those of us that have our business, our households, our family, our own, you know, time frame, how much of that time can we give up to go and do service at the temple? Mm-hmm. Or how much of that time do we give up to go and do service? Exactly, at the exactly. That's. Uh... I used to, uh, during the early days in Alachua, I was able to go to the full morning program every morning. Really? And then we, I started working with Lowe's, and the store opens at 7 in the morning. Right. Well, that's out the window now. Yeah. You know, my whole program is get up, get my puja, get my rounds, get my breakfast, go out, mm. and be at work by 7 o'clock. Yeah. So, you know, no more sitting in class making uh, gee-wicks and <laughs> stringing neck beats. <laughs> <clears throat> so, instead, we have to look at other ways that we can render service. We don't... As a household, we want to be very cautious that we don't simply become absorbed in just executing our household life. We want to be doing service. Now, that service may be directly for the temple. That service may be facilitating the Krishna consciousness of our family. That's according to time and circumstance and where we live. Yeah. You know? There's a, a few interesting things that you mentioned that I want to kind of unpack. One of them being financially. I always, I always wonder about the future of ISKCON in North America um, financially in the sense that right now a lot of the temples are funded more mostly by Indians who have come from India, pious people who mm. donate to the temple. While their children growing up here, uh, like myself, uh, as we get as as they get older and those those people from India are no longer here, will we be able to financially, you know, get donations and things from those children when they have not this the same cultural mm. background that their parents have? So I was always thinking of, you know, how why don't we run temples more like businesses? Did Prabhupada say anything about that in the sense of because during his during your time there, uh, temples were run. Okay, book distribution is a source of income, restaurants. and restaurants are a source of income. But what about running? You know, what about maybe real estate or something, or mm-hmm. investing temple money in something that gives a return? Mm-hmm. Did he mention anything about that? I'm not aware of anything in that regards. Of course, I wasn't so well studied in those things. But as a religious organization, there are restrictions to what we can do business wise. And then take the profits from, like for instance, the temple running a real estate business. Well, you know now you're running into tax issues, right? You know, so there is a structure for keeping the religious institution separate from the business institution. Mm-hmm. As far as how these things will work out, if I had a reasonable answer for that, they'd probably make me the head of the GBC. <laughs> but, but I don't. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm struggling to figure out how to make my own household work. Right. And that's pretty much the same with most of our temples now, is yeah. the ability to get the finances in order. And I, I don't really have a full answer yeah. other than the tithing program. And 
really, I mean, how do most churches, I mean, I'm not talking about big mega churches, you know, the Catholic Church Institutional, I'm talking about your small community churches, how do they survive? Well, it's by the tithing that they receive from their members. Like a monthly, could be a monthly Monthly thing. donation, yeah. yeah, yeah. And many of our temple communities have large numbers of householders that don't tithe. Yes. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be giving something every month to support our local temple. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, it's, it's good. My wife and I had a program that whenever I got an increase in my salary, yeah. which of course I haven't had in years, but in any, <laughs> whenever I got an increase in my salary, our tithing to the temple would increase accordingly. Right. I got a 10% raise in the salary, so we give a 10% increase in the tithing, whatever, like that. Right. Likewise, if I lost a salary, then we had to adjust accordingly as well. Mm-hmm. The, the act of maintaining our household is as a service to Krishna. So we have an obligation to serve Krishna in the temple and to facilitate the fact that, okay, we, we go to the temple for the Sunday feast program. We go to the temple for the daily class and RT. We do or don't take prasadam there, but all these things are going on. How is that being paid for? Mm-hmm. So if we're going somewhere... It's under our obligation as a family member of that institution to support that. Yes. You know, and it doesn't have to be that we, you know, we're, uh, you know, big donors giving, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, it's my $51 a month or my $31 a month. Yes. And, you know, devotees sometimes say, oh, Prabhu is just, no, I'm sorry, it's not. It's not what? It's not too hard. Right. It's It's just too too difficult. Things are too tight this month. They have too many. No. Yeah. As long as we think like that, that I have too many expenses to make my tithing, I'll always have too many expenses. Yeah. You know? I mean, we frivolously spend $31, $51, whatever it is, throughout the course of the month without even thinking about it. Right. So, you know, I think it's an obligation to every householder in every temple community to tithe and support their temple. Yeah, that's that's a really. Um, it's what the true. Christians do. It's how they survive for two thousand years. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, something that I really appreciate about you is that you don't. I never hear you like criticize anyone or be critical towards anyone. And I was, and and after so many years of being a devotee, how do you how did you keep that up? What 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 kind of mindset do you have to keep that up? My wife gets to hear it all. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's uh, true. <laughs> uh, you might want to ask her that. No. Um, part of it is the fact that I'm very well versed in the instructions of our acharyas on fault finding. Okay. It's no secret. My favorite instruction in this regards is well of course there's a pastime Ramchandapuri. Yeah. Nobody liked Ramchandapuri. Right. You know, all the guy did was criticize everybody. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to hang out with Ramchandapuri. Yeah. Now, if I want to have friends yeah. and associates, yes. well I don't want to be like Ramchandapuri. Yeah, yeah. You know? Second of all, pastime of Jagai and Madai. Mm-hmm. After Mahaprabhu saved the two of them. I always mix up whether it was Jagai or Madai, I forget which, but yes. the one that had struck Ananda. Yeah. So Mahaprabhu embraced him. And a dark cloud, it mentions, rose up out of the body of Madai and rose over and entered into the body of Mahaprabhu. And it was explained that this was the sinful activities of Madai that Mahaprabhu was releasing from him. 
Mm -hmm. And then that cloud again rose into the sky. And Mahaprabhu said, let it be known that anyone that criticizes the Vaishnava, the reaction of this cloud of sinful activities to God will enter into them. Oh my gosh. So that alone scares the hell out of me. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, Chitragupta, Chandragupta? Chandragupta, the scribe for... Uh, Chitragupta, yeah. Chitragupta, the scribe for Yamaraj. Yes, yes. He says, if myself and 1,000 scribes for endless time wrote, we couldn't describe all the sins committed by Jagan Marai. Yes. So I don't want anything to do with that reaction. Right. Oh my gosh, so, yeah. You know, there's that. I mean, there is the side of it that maybe confidentially between my wife and I when we have a frank conversation about this. Of course, yeah. Things will be discussed. Yeah. But, and then there's the fact that I have to look in the mirror each morning. I know what my faults are. Yes. If I spend all my time pointing out everybody else's faults, well, then somebody's going to start pointing out my faults. Right, right. And we start down that road, and we've got all day. <laughs> right. So it's not that I have any special quality or ability. I just try not to do it. Mm. You know, and there are all times I fall into it, but I try to catch myself and avoid that because it's not beneficial for our spiritual life. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen, I mean, we've seen throughout the years devotees who criticize or fault find it then they their their time in krishna consciousness becomes you know it becomes covered after a while like mm -hmm. for temporarily of course but not only their time but their advancement advancement right yeah advancement in krishna consciousness means we're embracing the principles of krishna consciousness that allow us to become free from the anartas yeah and one of the biggest anartas is the fault finding of Vaishnavas. What's one of the offenses against the holy name to criticize those who are propagating, you know? Yeah. So if we want to advance in devotional service, we have to give that up. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. It's just that easy. Right. How has it been traveling from now for many, how many years have you been traveling with the His Holiness Indudumna Swami? Indudumna Swami is immensely kind to me. And he has allowed me to travel with him for, oh, I don't know, I'm looking at uh, 13, 14 years now. Amazing. Uh, 2009 was the first Russian trip I did with him. Wow. What are you at, 19 now, so 10 years? <clears throat> and he encouraged me at some point, you're not getting any younger. Yeah. You know, you need to do some more preaching than you do. So... You know, Badahari, myself, him, the three of us have spent quite a bit of time. And it's very refreshing for me in the sense that I get to associate with two devotees that I consider to be my senior in every way, Indra Swami and Badahari Prabhu, two devotees that I highly respect, yeah. two devotees that I can learn so much from. On the flip side, it gives me the opportunity to be aware of the example and the sharing that I can provide to younger devotees. Yes. I've developed a lot of relationships with the disciples of Indra Swami from these travels as well as the disciples of other persons by having to speak about Krishna consciousness, by being able to share my experiences in Krishna consciousness. So it's been refreshing for me. It's been invigorating for me. It's been internally beneficial for me as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I consider those two individuals, Indra Swami and Bhattahari, to be, you know, two of my best inspirations in Krishna consciousness. Mm. That's that's really amazing that you've done that. I mean, as a, you know, working person, and you've you've been able to travel with Maharaj, and uh, 
that's uh, that's something that I think devotees sometimes lack is that 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 close association with some senior it could be even your godbrother like yeah, yeah. in your case yeah yeah it's your godbrother but at the same time uh, there you consider them a senior devote senior yeah. person and someone who can give you instruction and tell you when maybe um, i mean we were talking about this yesterday tell you when you may be doing something wrong or Going down the wrong wrong track yeah know? yeah this is the importance of association association doesn't mean we just sit around and you know read christian book together it means practical conversations on our advancement in Krishna consciousness. Yes, yes. You know, Indra Swami is incredibly humble in the fact that he regularly turns to Bhattahari and I as if we're both his senior and capable of guiding him in devotional service. That's his humility. That's yes. how he's able to stay advanced. Yes. In the same way, for myself to be able to associate with these devotees and take inspiration from them is what helps me stay solid in Krishna consciousness. These uh, uh, friendships with senior devotees are there for the purpose of helping us advance. This is the whole point of association. This mm -hmm. is what Mahaprabhu's movement is, a movement yeah. of associating with Vaishnavas. Yes. You were mentioning about how it's you know interesting I'm able to do this and still work. Yeah. And a lot of devotees, you know, I get these messages all the time you know do you actually have a job i mean yes. i know you say you have a job yes 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 and it's interesting how that came about I, I, yeah tell us again some when I, I love that i think i just unplugged something did you uh no you're good no okay yeah um you still here yeah okay yeah okay there it goes um <clears throat> at one point it was you know the idea was floated of my traveling in the spring and then going to kartik in the fall for the pilgrimage there and I went to my bosses and I explained to them, you know, this is an opportunity for me to go and share my faith with younger practitioners and mm -hmm. travel, you know, with a group that's going to do education and training and like that, you know. I presented it more or less as a mission opportunity in Christian terms. Yeah. And they thought about it and they said, okay, well, you know, give us a day or two to consider, you know. So I came back and, and their response I thought was quite noble, my, my boss at the time. He said, um, he said, you know, we give religious, I mean, we give military guys time off to fill their military obligation. I don't see why we can't give someone time off to fulfill their religious obligation. Mm. So they granted these two periods of the year, which I can go and travel. Amazing. And I consider it one of the great blessings I have in my life from Krishna, that I've landed in a job where I'm respected, where I'm well paid, and where I have a solid job that it's no question anybody's getting rid of me. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, maybe they're going to fire you. No, they've made it clear you're not going anywhere. Yeah. We like having you around. Yeah, you know? yes. So, but at the same time, I have the opportunity to, to travel and share Krishna consciousness in a very meaningful way for those that hear it and in a very meaningful way for me. So, you know, I'm kind of blessed in that way. <laughs> I feel like I feel like when you become more advanced in Krishna consciousness, then uh, you Krishna arranges things in your life that you you can kind of focus more on him you feel do you feel like that in your well, i don't life? feel like the more advanced part but i do feel like christian's right. arranging things in his life right, so right, i can right, yeah. you know meditate on him more and be more absorbed in my service yeah yeah that's that's amazing um so you have children and they're grown up and grandchildren too grandchildren as well yeah oh before that i want to talk a bit about your family you, mm -hmm. have, you have siblings you have yeah, yeah. Uh, tell us about I have, that uh, I have four brothers, and there's five of us all together, four boys and a girl. Yeah. And uh, I'm the oldest, and I was the most challenging. 
Of course, my parents were a byproduct of the 40s and 50s, and so they had a particular idea of rearing children, which the idea of the 60s uh, completely flew in the wind of. Yes. And uh, so I was a bit of a challenge, but um, we always had a close family. Mm -hmm. And when I joined Krishna Consciousness, uh, there was not a uh, line of communication between my parents and I. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, I'd been, on, I'd been a hippie living in a commune and hitchhiking around the country. And so they didn't really know where I was or what I was up to. And there was no cell phones back then. You didn't just pop into an internet cafe and send a text. I mean, you know, phone calling meant you actually had to have money in your pocket and find a place to put it into a coin phone and call somebody. Yeah. So wasn't a lot of communication. Then I became a devotee. And I'd been a devotee about six months and was distributing books at a uh, uh, Oktoberfest, a beer fest, and ran into my mother and father there. Oh, my gosh. And uh, it was not the most um, heartwarming greeting. Wow. Um, you know, I was a fired-up fanatical brahmachari, and they were two parents who'd never seen their son in orange robes with a shaved head. So it went every which way wrong. <laughs> oh my God. But it wasn't too much longer after that that things kind of mellowed up because... In my family, there's always been a, a level of love and acceptance, you know. Yeah. Maybe disappointment also, but whatever. So um, I started, you know, my relationship up with my family again, going back and visiting. There's pictures in a family album of Christmas time, and everybody's crowded together on the couch for a family portrait, and we're all sitting there, and I'm in the middle of them with orange robes and a shaved head and tea lock and, you know, like that. And uh, then when my parents had their 25th wedding anniversary, uh, the five siblings got together and we did an official children's port, lit all of us together. Mm-hmm. And I'm there with a jacket and a suit and a tie and shaved head and T-lock and a Sika. Nice. And my mother proudly hung that picture on her wall for decades and decades. <laughs> <clears throat> and so there was a mood of, you know, part of the family. You know, it was never like, oh, you don't belong to us anymore. That just wasn't... It's like my mother said when when people... She told me this. She said, when people come to me and say, how do you deal with your son being a Hare Krishna? She said, well, I either deal with him being a Hare Krishna, I don't get to deal with my son. Right, yeah. So she was always... Her and my father both were always very reasonable about that. Yeah. And in later years... After I'd been married for a while, and, and during the time I was a temple president in St. Louis, my mother and f- my father was one of the international directors of the Lions Club. Mm-hmm. And they hold their nas- their international convention in a different country each year. Right. One year they held it in Australia. And uh, somehow or another, the devotees in Australia and Sydney got to be involved in the opening parade for this. I, I don't know exactly how that took place. But um, my father met some of those devotees. You know, senior devotees that had been part of that. That's back when New York and Sydney were like sister temples under Bhavananda. They were both, you know. The, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. That was way back then. Yeah. And so my father was approached by them. You know, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, my son's a Hare Krishna. I know all about you all. Yeah. I said, oh, who's your son? And my father said, well, his name's Chaturatma. And I'd never once in my life heard my father say my devotee name. Yes. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know my devotee name? <laughs> I said, of course I do. You've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years, whatever it was. Yeah. I said, but you never used it. He said, well, it's not the name I gave you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so at any rate, they said, oh, yeah, Chaturam, we know Chaturam, you know, blah, 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 yeah, you know. So at any rate, this particular year, the international convention was in Mumbai. And my father was there, 
And it turned out that many of the life members yeah. of our temple were also members of the Lions Club. Right. And so when they found out from my father in conversation that his son was not only a member of ISKCON, but a temple president of his kind, it afforded him a whole level of respect amongst his peers that he didn't get from his American Lions Club friends. Right. <laughs> oh, your son runs a high Christian? Oh, I'm so sorry for you. you know? Yeah, right. So, uh, and additionally, one of his best friends was a Bengali man that he met, and he was like, oh, so he does this and doesn't do that. And so my mother and father returned with a let's say, a much broader view of what Krishna consciousness was right. and how it was a heritage and a religious significance beyond just these guys running around America at the airports on the street corners chanting. Mm. You know, so it was a real awakening for them to see, oh, okay, now I get it. You know, not that they accepted it or wanted to make it their religion or anything like that, yeah. but they at least understood the authenticity and the historical... Uh, factuality or bona fide nature of Krishna consciousness. Yeah. So, yeah, and then my relationship with my siblings has been similar like that. You know, we've always been active and involved. As I mentioned, when I was a temple president in St. Louis, my brother and I played racquetball two or three times a week. And, you know, then my other brothers, uh, when I took over the temple, there was a lot of renovation work coming down. They'd come down and help me do things. And wow. My mother came down and helped me wallpaper the temple and oh the restaurant. God. And, oh, my God. You know, and when we'd have weddings, my mother would come down and do the reception at the door. She'd put on a sari because in India, they had her on a sari with garlands, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And I got this great picture of my father. He's got garlands up to here, you know, because he was a dignitary. He'd go yes. to these places and speak. And, yes. you know, and then my mother in a sari with a bendy on. And, oh, my gosh. So she'd come to the temple and greet people. Yeah, coats over here. The wedding's over there. Da, 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 like that. Oh, my gosh. You know, so they, they were, there was never a mood of alienation. Yeah. You know, so as a result, I think it was easier for me to pass that on to my children. Yeah. Even at points in my relationship with my children that might have been, you know, strained. Mm. As it will be with any parent. I mean, you know, some parents get through it unscathed, but generally not. <laughs> right. You know, so there were rough times with each of my kids. Yeah. But I think because of that foundational support that my parents always offered me. Right. I understood how to offer that to my kids. Yeah. Or at least if I didn't, how to go back and make up for the fact that I didn't and correct things. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able as a parent to say you're sorry to your kids. It's not that you're always right and they're always wrong. Sometimes you have to sit down with your kids and say, look, I'm sorry I did that wrong. You know? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good segue into what I wanted to talk about, raising children. Um, although I only know one of your children, Manju. But, um, I, you know, they, she's, she's, a, you know, she's a dedicated devotee and, and, and she has her own family and everything. Um, what do you think are one of the most important lessons besides that, you know, being able to say sorry that, um, that you can share with our listeners about raising children? Love them. Just always love them unconditionally. Unconditional love. Because if you, if you were able to always love your kids, no matter what difficulties, no matter what obstacles, no matter what foolishness they go through, then when they come out the other side of all that, then they will be able to look back on that and appreciate you for that and mature in their own way yeah. with your support. Right. You know, um, I always felt my parents loved me. I never felt that my parents hate me. They've cut me off. They don't want me around. I never felt that for my parents. Wow. I mean, you know, during my teenage years in high school when I tested my father to the world's ends, I mean, you know, 
I kind of thought he was the stupidest guy on the planet, you know. Yeah. But, you know, what's that saying? You know, when I was 17, I couldn't believe how stupid my father was. And by the time I got to be 25, I was amazed how much he learned. <laughs> <laughs> you never heard that? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's a, a good, good one. one. When I was 16, I thought my father was the stupidest man around. When I was 25, I was amazed how much he learned in those 10 years. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, there were times like that, but I mean, I always felt that my parents loved me and cared for me, you know, yes, so yes. that being able to pass that on to your children, that, okay, yeah, you did this, yeah, you ended up there, yeah, you made it, whatever, I still love you, I'm there for you, let's yeah. work this out, I'll help you get through it. And sometimes that means taking a hard stance, you know, it's not always just about opening your arms and share whatever you did is fine. You know, no, sometimes you got to draw the line. Yeah, yeah. But doing it with love yes. makes it palatable or at least survivable. You know, whereas, you know, I always mention, like, you know, I grew up in the period where you got spanked. Right. I mean, I, that's, you know, nobody spanks anybody anymore. It's forbidden. Right. But it was not unknown for me to get the belt. Yes. At, but it was never done in anger my father never oh, you're right. you know it was never like that yes okay i told you to do it. okay now so you so now you're gonna have to get the belt so come in here all right right and, and it was always very calm and strong you know and you knew that ah, i earned this yeah, right. now, whether you know you want to get into this child raising a psychological thing of whether it was proper or not okay that's a different story yes but it was never done in anger yeah. It was what my father understood was the way to raise a child, and he did it with his best intentions. Yeah. You know, so I never held anything against him for that. I never thought, like, oh, he's beating me, you know. Because, <laughs> I mean, I never got beat. Right. You know, but granted, some kids do, and that's a whole other story. Yeah. But I always felt that. So, in turn, passing that on to my children, I don't think any of my three kids, if you would ask them, could say that they ever felt a time where they weren't loved by my wife and I. Mm. You know? And then, you know, when they have grandkids, you get the bliss of being around the grandkids. You know? Yes, yes. <clears throat> I was mentioning this during our class the other day. The bodily concept of life of being a man or a woman or old or young or black or white, they, these are all easy to give up. Yeah. The bodily concept of life of being a grandparent, that's really <laughs> tough to give up. <laughs> it's a real hard one. Is that kind of some kind of snare of Maya? Because it's I like think it later must be. Okay, oh, you advance this far. Okay, now let me throw this grandkid in there. Let's see how detached you really are. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> I don't Gosh. know if you've seen the pictures, but my youngest granddaughter is the cutest thing on the planet. <laughs> yeah, she is. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Uh, must be rough being, you know, far away. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah, know? yeah, but, uh, yeah. But I, I'll say it right here, live television for everyone in the world to know. Yes. My daughter is uh, so fortunate, and my wife and I are so fortunate because her husband, Adwaita, is just a gem of a young man. What a nice guy, Adwaita. Yeah. If you're listening, we, you, we love you. You'll watch this eventually, and we all think you're wonderful. You are awesome, yes. <laughs> he was like a pilot, and he's yeah. uh, got a really nice beard, yeah. and he's got muscles. <laughs> he's such a cool you know, guy. His muscles have muscles. Yeah. <laughs> I visited them in Australia, and they were yeah, so nice. Yeah. You know, he he. Um, we were waiting at the house, and uh, he came on a motorcycle. I rode. On he rode. He rode up on the motorcycle, and I was like, "Who's this devotee?" I mean, uh, Nitai told me about yeah. him, and then he's like, "Hey, every, you know, he's like, this cool guy. You know, he works at the gym, and what I a wrote, nice man." I rode on that bike with him. You did? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. wow, fantastic! One time, that was enough. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, but you know, all of my children have amazing families, incredibly loving spouses, and good, solid relationships. They all have turned out very well. They're wonderful. solid, wonderful people. 
Uh, not a one of them is inimical to ISKCON. Uh, I've been blessed that none of my kids ever had to go through any of those torturous Gurukula situations we hear about. Yeah. You know, so and the ones they did go through were not quite so traumatizing. You know? Right, right. You know, another thing, back to the family issue, yeah. um, and my young devotee years, is uh, I, again, had a unique temple situation in that, like, Mother's Day, Father's Day, our temple commander would line us all up at the phone, and we called our parents. Really? Yeah. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Just wanted to call it. You know, I was thinking of you. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Just wanted to call it. Oh, you know, my God. That's amazing. That's not what we hear about. No, no. We don't hear that. Well, it's because temples didn't do it. My, I'm just saying, well, this temple was unique in that sense. Wow. We had a mood of, you know, you know, like a family mood, you know. And you were saying, you know, you go back on Christmas, you go visit them and... Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, oh, the family, you know, they're all my, you got to throw them out and give them up, you know, I mean, it was a different mood there, you know, and that's why I think, you know, my stability in Krishna consciousness, both as an individual and as a householder, I think that's part of it, is my training as a brahmacharya. Yes, yes. I was never one of those, ooh, five women, you know, spit on them. And <laughs> never one of those, oh, your family, they're Maya, throw them out, forget about them. That just wasn't the way I was raised as a devotee. Yes, yes. You know? Yeah. I, I, just, I mean, we didn't all sit around with the girls and hold hands and sing kumbaya either. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't an all or nothing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm completely tired of this of talking about the subject that I want to bring up, but I, I just like to get your perspective because mm-hmm. in the past I haven't had a senior devotee on, on the podcast except my father-in-law, which was a, quite a few podcasts ago, but the female Diksha Guru thing. Mm-hmm. Um I understand that it's an, it's an issue in India mm-hmm. that India says you know Iskand India says if we this happens if we get it passed or whatever then we will secede from Iskand as global entity and we will start our own thing and I have heard that yeah so what are your thoughts like have you had any interaction with uh, with the subject at all or have you thought about it or is it an issue in Alachua at at all are there any kind of I mean, out of the last three temple presidents we've had in Alachua, two have been women. So, no, it's not an issue in Alachua. All right. <laughs> uh, kirtans are led by the ladies there sometimes. Yes, yes. Classes are given by ladies there. Yeah. You know, so it's not an issue in Alachua. Right. Um, as far as the society at large, yeah, you're right. I, I don't particularly think about it. I mean, not excuse me, not think about it. I don't particularly talk about it much because it is an extremely polarizing subject on an international level. Yes. What the future of ISKCON holds in this regards, I don't know. Right. Like I said here again, if I had that answer, they'd make me the head of the GPC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But uh, I haven't gotten that email yet. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, but the point is that from a purely philosophical and historical point of view, if you look at our line, there are many female Diksha gurus. Mm-hmm. Now, they may say, oh, there was Janavamata and uh, one other, I think they use as an example. Gangamata? Gangamata goes through. They're an exception. Yeah. The last time I put together a list, it was 18 names on the list with just, you know, running through it. And I, you know, I'm reasonably well-versed in Vaishnava history. Right. So it's not such a foreign thing. Yes. Number one. Number two, the idea that... You know, they'll, well, it's more likely to be fall downs, you know. Excuse me? <laughs> I mean, most of these types of scenarios we see, it's the men that are the problem. Yeah, right. You know? So, and if we're going to look at, uh, 
mistakes that have been made in this con in the past, doing this, if it were to turn out to be a mistake, is pretty low on the list of major impacts. Right. Other than the fact that you have some traditionalists, and I'll use a polite word, that are willing to secede from Prabhupada society. If, if as a devotee, you have a majority of persons worldwide that think one way and you insist on thinking another mm -hmm. and holding that that is the only way to see it and everybody else is wrong, I kind of think you've missed the point of Krishna consciousness. Right. Um, you know, let the chips fall where they, where they may on that one, but I can't see any reason in the world why we should not be allowing some of our senior respected Vaishnavis who have spent decades serving Srila Prabhupada faultlessly Yes. Without fall down. Right. Initiate some disciples. What are they going to take over the movement? Have 7,000, 8,000, 10,000 disciples? No, that's going to happen. <laughs> you know? And even if they did, what's the harm? But yes. the point is, you know, they can give as much practical guidance and instruction and devotional service as many others. Yeah, yeah. So I personally, from an ISKCON um, functionality point of view, and from a Gaudiya historical point of view, don't see any reason it shouldn't happen. Mm. Managerially, that's a whole other issue, and I leave that to greater minds than me and more devoted men than me to figure out on the GBC. Right. Is there any is there any history uh, in the Gaudiya map of any, um, like because that's uh, more co I'm, contemporary than right. I'm you... not as familiar with Gaudiya map history. Right. Um, so I couldn't say for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just not, I don't know that answer. Right, right. Because I, I, I would assume that the problems or the issues come when, okay, what if they're giving like um, Brahmin thread? Would a, some, would a lady give a man the thread? Why not? Right. Yeah. That would be my answer to that. If the question is put to me, can they do that? My question would be, why not? Why not, right. It's not like they're wearing it. Mm -hmm. Granted, ladies don't wear upanaya. Right. But... Where does it say that a female guru cannot give Upanaya to a disciple? Right. Does that mean Janabamata never gave Upanaya to any of her disciples? Yeah. Sita Thakurani never gave Upanaya to any of her disciples? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, um, uh, Ishwari, the uh, wife of uh, Srinivasachari, never gave Upanaya to any of her disciples? Gangamata goes on. The list goes on and on and on. Yeah, right. It's just another argument. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. hate mail for the following subject can be sent to <laughs> we'll give your email afterward we, we can uh, we can get into that yeah so um then i would like to say about so now <clears throat> um your focus has been uh vaishnav history is one of the things that you're really uh you know in krishna conscious what your focuses are what are the another focuses you have in krishna conscious that that keeps you going uh day after day um govardhan worship my worship of viridhari i've been worshiping govardhan Sheila since 1976 1976, yeah. wow. On and off, I began in 1976, and then I got my own Govardhan Sheila to begin worshipping in 1983 or four. Oh my gosh, wow. And every day since then. 
Um, what do you like? What what is it? Because I've heard that uh, some devotees have said that um, after they worship Govardhan, their spiritual life has gone uh, like a little uh, under another level. Like they've gone another level in their worship, in their in their meditation of deity worship. So, what what is it about that worship that I, you... I don't know about another level, right? But you know, the fact is that I do feel very connected and very solid in my devotional service from worshiping Govardhan, right? And I feel very connected to over downhill mm. um you know i have i just have an innate attraction for some reason yeah last life i don't know this right. life i don't know I, right. I can't explain it but somehow or another i have this you know fascination and attraction for garrett hari mm. and so worshiping gary raj visiting gary raj learning about gary raj sharing you know this is very very meaningful and inspirational to me also doing different kinds of pujas, you know, I, mean, mm. I started doing yognas and abhisheks and things like that, uh, you know, 74 yeah. was the first one I did. Wow. You know, I was just an assistant back then. Yeah. But, uh, and of course, you know, back then we didn't have the benefit and the good fortune of all the manuals and instructions and seminars and training that are around now. We, yeah. We had a little two-page mimeograph sheet that was passed around from temple to temple, and you looked at it and figured out what it meant and how to do it. Oh, my gosh. You know? And I, I always mention, like, Purusha Shukta. Well, I learned Purusha Shukta yeah. from reading it. We didn't have any tapes of anybody chanting it back then. Yeah. So I learned it in Bhagavad Gita meter. So Purusha Shukta stuck in my mind eternally in Bhagavad Gita meter. <laughs> Oh my god. So I've tried numerous times. I can't change it. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, it's just wow. like stuck from my, you know. Yeah, right, right. So, but doing these different types of pujas and all, and, you know, I, I really get inspiration from those. And equally inspiring to me is assisting personalities that are junior to me, but in my mind, senior to me in their practice of this, you know, persons like, uh, you know, Brahma Mohorta Prabhu, you know, one yeah. of my dear good friends, you know, yeah. uh, Raghunath, another friend of mine from Alachua, they have perfected and developed the understanding and the intricacies of this so much beyond anything that I have any understanding of, Right. you know, and the dedication they've given to it, you know, is just really wonderful and amazing and inspirational to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think maybe in my next life, you know, I might be able to, you know, go down that road or something. But, right. uh, you know, so, yeah, those are the three things that really inspire me in my Krishna consciousness. Right. At being a senior devotee, have you have you ever you, thought... You keep saying this word, senior devotee. I just happen to have been around a long time, and I'm an See, old fart. No, 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 no. no you're... I, I guess I've been, a, I, I've been, you know, I'm an Iskand kid, so I, I, that's how right. I see... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, no, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> have, you, have you ever thought about taking on disciples? <laughs> Funny you should ask that. It's a, uh, it is a topic that's banted around in Alachua that some of the senior devotees should step forward and do this role. I don't see that as a service myself. Okay. I see myself more as an uncle. Right. You know, many of, for instance, many of Indra Swami's disciples, they see me as their uncle. Right. You know, they can come to me with things they may not be able to go to their guru about. Yes. You know, they can speak a little bit more matter-of-factly to me about the realities and pitfalls and challenges of household life that they're not going to go and talk to their sannyasi guru about. Right. So I have that opportunity, I think, to reach a few more people in a different way right. as the uncle 
than I would have as a guru. Right. And I mean, that's putting aside the whole fact that I'm not advanced enough and I don't have enough philosophical understanding and probably couldn't get the 10 God brothers to support me. That's true. But yeah, I don't see that as a particular role for myself. Okay. I think that it's, you know, that what you're saying about the uncle thing is this, I think that's very valuable. I think it's important. I think very it's important. important. You know, because the relationship with the guru is more formal and more, you know, I don't want to say rigid, but it has a certain structure to it. Yeah. And there are things that I've been approached by some of my God brothers' disciples about that I know they'd never go to them with. Yeah. You know, but they need answers. Right. They need to know. How do I do this? You know, what's the explanation? How do I cross this bridge? You know, right. and having a bit more familial role and relationship allows for the conversation to be a little bit more frank and fluid. Right. You know, and you know, these are things that need to be discussed. You know, whatever these things are. You know, whether it's sex life within the marriage, or whether it's how to deal with kids that are taking drugs, or whether, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, these different pitfalls are things that need to you need to be able to go to somebody and talk about them. And it's not at all uncommon when Indra Maharaj is with the disciples and they come to him. Um, you know, Gurudeva, the such and such question about household. I go go to Chaturanga Bhattacharya and talk to them. They can help you. Yes, yes. You know, so <laughs> we serve that role to the guru as well. Yes. You know, so I see that more of a role for myself. You know that. That old uncle who lives out of Govardhan, and you go out and talk to him or whatever. <laughs> That's wonderful. In my mind's eye. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, so I think that, um, that you know, your role is, like, so valuable. And, and I think you're such a great asset to the ISKCON movement. And not, oh, thank you. You know, not many, uh, you know, outside of North America, maybe in, out in Russia and as India as well. But I think this podcast will will show people that you know you, you know that there's devotees like yourself who are helping devotees um not in the, in a way of being a sannyasi guru but in a way that they can really relate with and i and i thank you so much for coming on uh do you have any last words that you'd like to uh... no, it's been my pleasure um you know i'm always uh, eager to share my experiences in Christian yes. consciousness and uh always uh opportunity to talk about uh, Prabhupada whenever the facility is there. Thank you so There's much. Still more Prabhupada stories. We'll cross it another time. For sure. I mean, you'll be back. We'll have you on again. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we like recurring guests, but uh, <laughs> that's episode 18 with uh, Chaturatma Prabhu. Prabhu, thank you for coming on. And if someone wants to get in touch with you, um, uh, I'm sure there there will be. You're on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm on there as Chaturatma. No fancy okay. hidden name. Okay. Just okay. Chaturatma Das. And uh, if anybody wants to contact me send me a little note and uh, thank you take it from there thank you so much thank you very much well, thanks Krishna. for all, 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 all.